Welcome to episode two of the MJ Sports Report, our weekly podcast where Kyle Heim and I get together and talk about the local high school sports. Uh, I'm Evan Riggs, your host today, joined by Kyle Heim. Um, it's been kind of a strange week in the in the prep sports world in the area. Um, we can start with football last Friday, where basically every game was moved up an hour, maybe even more because of impending weather. And then at least where I was at, didn't didn't have a drop of rain until my drive home. Of course. And then, uh, Kyle, you actually uh, took shelter at a volleyball game, so an indoor sporting event um, in the middle of the fall. Our own Kyle Heim was taking shelter because of a tornado that was kind of close. Yeah, it was a wild start to the week, Kevin. Didn't expect the weather to play a factor in Tuesday night's volleyball match <laughs> between Muscatine and Davenport West at West High School. But there was a brief powder power outage that caused all the lights to go out in the gym midway through a play in the first set. And then later in the set, we had a 20-minute delay due to a tornado warning. And so everybody had to head out to the halls right outside the gym. I had to laugh when, uh, in your story, um, Coach Tim Martin was like, yeah, I don't think I've uh, ever had a volleyball game delayed due to the weather before. And I think that's definitely a, a first for me as well. I definitely never remember seeing a volleyball game impacted by weather. It's kind of kind of wild and you know we'll, we'll get right to it here we have a lot to get to a lot of stuff happened this last week well we'll obviously we'll preview all the area football matchups all the teams are in action again week two we'll look back at week one how all the teams did we'll talk a little bit about the area volleyball teams and cross-country teams that that played although we don't have as many cross-country teams this week a, a lot of those meets were canceled earlier in the week with with the rain and then uh, some musky golf and uh, yeah, let's just jump right into it. Um, I guess first thing here, we'll start with the football games and we'll start with the Muskies. They beat Davenport Central 23-6 to at Brave Street Stadium to start the season. Uh, we'll just start right off, Kyle, you, you were there. What were kind of your first impressions uh, of Musk team football? Did they, uh, did they exceed your expectations maybe? A little bit. The thing that really stood out to me was the team speed on both sides of the ball. Obviously, sophomore running back Tim Nimley and sophomore wide receiver Eli Gay both easily eclipsed 100 yards on offense. Both of those players showed the ability to make big play after big play after big play. But even senior quarterback Carson Orr had a really nice game as well, completed 65.5% of his passes, had 190 yards passing and one touchdown. Um, defensively, they did give up 269 yards. Davenport Central had several solid-looking drives, but Muscatine did a great job of either holding Central to a field goal or stopping them on fourth down when they got deep into Muskie territory. Dalen Chelangoski had a 19-yard sack on a fourth-and-four play in the second quarter at Muscatine's 28-yard line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, for me, I mean, you kind of already hit on it, but biggest thing for me is when you have two two kids like, like Tim Nimble and Eli Gay who are just both clearly just natural playmakers, I mean... Tim Nimley seemed like he broke a tackle on just about every play. Uh, Eli Gay, obviously, eight receptions for 144 yards and a touchdown in your first ever high school football game or varsity high school football game. That, that's crazy. Those, those are crazy numbers. And that play at the end of the first half where he uh, caught the screen pass, cut back, and took that took it to the house, I mean, you know that, that just shows his athletic ability. It's just, it's just different from a lot of guys out there. Those two combined for 297 of Muscatine's 337 yards on offense. And obviously, you know, Carson Orr had a real nice game as well, like you mentioned, complete a lot of his passes. No turnovers, that, that was a big thing. And I looked back at their games last year. There was only one game in the whole season where they didn't have a turnover, 
and a lot of times they had games with at least two, three, four, even five turnovers. And I know Mueller said that was a big point of emphasis this year was to try and really cut those down. And, you know, through one week or, you know, his good decision-making really paid off for the Muskies. And they were able to run a lot of stuff with, you know, fake handoffs, able to get, get Gay and Nimbly involved, you know, make the defense really have to commit to both of those guys and make the reads easier for Orr. So that obviously was big. And then the defense, you mentioned it. I mean, they you know didn't give up a touchdown. They, they gave up 40 or more six times last year. So, you know, through one week, that's a major improvement. And, you know, yeah, just, just all around, you know, good game for the Muskies. I think we both thought they would win, but to really dominate a playoff team from last year the way they did, you know, 23-6, to six, there for a while, I mean, it really could have been more that they missed two field goals, pretty easy field goals, and they had really controlled the game when they were only up 6-0. to zero. So, so yeah, I mean, they, they really controlled that one. Obviously, Tim Nimley, we mentioned him, a big reason why he was our prep of the week this week. He was also uh, the Channel 6 of Spotlight Athlete of the Week this week. And that, I mean, that that includes basically every athlete, every sport in the Quad Cities area. So that, that just shows you how good of a week he had uh, in Week 1. Just, Kyle, what, what do you think of his performance in general? I know you went out there and talked to both him and Mueller a little bit. So what, what are your kind of, I don't want to say first impressions because we saw him play last year, but what, what are your impressions of him so far this season? It sounds like he, he's a real tough kid. He's tough to really tough to bring down. Uh, just runs really tough. Um, but I know talking to him after the game, he gave all the credit to the offensive line and the coaches. And Mueller said that's something that really stood out to him is understanding that this is a team game. He understands that, and he said there's nobody on that field who wants to win more than Tim Nimlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the quote that I think stood out to me. I don't know if you actually used it in your story. Matt had it in his. Matt Cost was about. If you're in a dark alley, you you want Tim Nimbley to be in that dark alley with you because he's going to make sure you get out and win the fight. And you know that you know for a sophomore to have that mentality, that that's pretty rare and you know, obviously a good thing for the Muskies moving forward here. And then uh, we'll we'll move on to the the second game here. We've got Durant and Wilton. Wilton wins this one, 27 to 13. Really, it was closer than the score indicates. Um, Wilton actually was down 13-12 in the third quarter. Now, that was the score at halftime, if I'm not mistaken. There was a lot of talk about Durant being being a better team this year, I think both around Durant and just, you know, but buzz I've heard around the area, just people talking about football, what they expect. Kyle, I know you saw the first half of that game the other night. You're out there taking yeah. photos. So you you saw, as far as you know, Durant won that game 13-12, I guess, but... What in the first half, what did you think of the way both teams played? Obviously, uh, Wilton kind of turned it on half two, but, you know, again, re- really even game for two, two and a half quarters of that one. Yeah, it was really well played defensively, I thought. Um, a lot of three and outs that I saw in that first half. Durant, <clears throat> I think on their Durant's second drive of the game, Bryce LaFrenz hit Jake Wilcom for that 80-yard yeah, pass, yeah. and then which set up the one-yard touchdown run by LaFrenz. Kind of took that early lead, and I mean that really got the crowd fired up too at Durant. I think this is a different team than last year. Mm-hmm. I think it showed there. Did they? Uh, did their offensive line look uh, as good as we thought it would? I know there's been a lot, a lot made. You know, I was talking to the Muscatine trainer the other day at L and M, and she was telling me, you know, Durant just has some big kids yeah. down there. Yeah, I was standing next to. Some of them on the sideline. <laughs> I, felt, I felt tiny compared to them. To be, to be fair, neither Kyle or I are too sizable of, of individuals. But I'm about five seven and a half. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Get yourself five eight. We'll we'll round up. I'll, I round myself up to five ten all the time. So we'll we'll give you five eight. But yeah, um, basically, you know, second half of that one, thirteen twelve. A uh, couple of sacks seemed to set up a short field for Wilton. Uh, Clayton Cooling on the first one, Jared Townsend on the second one. They scored touchdowns both occasions, and that really kind of kind of put that one out of reach. Uh, Colin McCrab had a real nice game there night. Had 144 rushing yards. I want to say on 19 carries. Don't have that number handy, but in a touchdown, uh, which kind of made up for Jerome May's. I don't know if I want to say being held in check, but you know by his standards, it, it wasn't wasn't a great game. Uh, for him, he didn't have any turnovers, didn't do anything wrong. But you know, 71 rushing yards, 92 passing yards. When you know we're so accustomed to seeing him being over 100 in both, so Durant really did a pretty good job on him. But that that just shows you the weapons Wilton has, how good of a team they are. That they, you know, their best weapon was really kind of taken out of the game a little bit. And then you have Colin McCrab has 144 yards and a touchdown. And then uh, Corey Anderson um, had an interception again, so he. You know, tied the state lead last year with eight. Looks like he's well on his way. Um, for the Durant side, you know, you mentioned, Kyle, the, the 80-yard pass from LaFrenz to Wilcom. Sets up the first touchdown. Uh, LaFrenz threw for 188 yards, a touchdown, and obviously the, the Anderson interception. You know, Mason Compton, real nice game. Uh, four catches for 80 yards. Um, the, the rushing game wasn't, wasn't quite there, maybe the way you'd expect it with the offensive line. Uh, Ten carries for 23 yards against Tristan Hughes. We expect that to get better. We'll talk more about that when we get into the Week 2 matchups uh, for Durant. And, uh, yeah, unless you've got anything else to add on this one, Kyle. I just wanted to jump in on, build off what you said about McCrabb. Really impressed with his game. He, he had four carries for 58 yards all of last season, so over doubling his total yardage in the first week already. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's a, that's a big-time leap for him. And uh, we, we can move here to what may have actually been the best game in the area, uh, Wapolo at Loiza Muscatine. Uh, Wapolo won that one 34-28 in, in double overtime. Um, Wapolo actually jumped out to a 14-0 lead. Didn't really look like it was going to be that close of a game. They were kind of controlling it. LM didn't have much going offensively. Wapolo was kind of doing what they wanted. But and L&M you know, responds, and they scored 22 straight over the next quarter and a half, and they, they really had the momentum. They were laying some big-time hits on the Wapolo kids. I, I was out there for that game in case in case you couldn't tell by my, my description here. And then, uh, you know, third quarter, I think late third quarter, uh, fourth and five from the 18-yard line, a real, real big moment in this game. Uh, Noah Holland making his first start at quarterback for the Indians. Uh, he hit Bryant Lance for 18-yard touchdown. They tied the game off two-point conversion. Teams kind of went back and forth the whole fourth quarter. Neither scored. LM had a chance. Um, they had like second and six on the 25-yard line. A couple penalties turned that one into third and 42. Obviously, that's a little bit tougher to convert than second and six. Didn't happen for him there. Wapolo was actually driving under two minutes left, but Keaton Velez ends up intercepting uh, Noah Holland in the end zone. Sent us to overtime. Um, then overtime, you know, first overtime, pretty much routine. The way high school overtime works, in case you don't know, is both teams start um, from the 10-yard line. You get four plays. Both teams score on the first overtime. Second overtime, um, Chase Cruz, uh, L&M quarterback, actually scored on a run and uh, was called back. I, I think the ref said it was a blindside block was, like, the exact term he used when announcing the penalty. So I guess unnecessary roughness would be. But I don't know. It, it was kind of a weird call. I saw it happen. I don't know. I don't know. It was a weird call in that moment, but it, it got called. And then uh, 
Wapolo actually ends up holding LM on the one yard line. And, you know, for a team that has defensive and offensive line questions, I know, you know, Coach Todd Parsons and uh, Ricky Ford's uh, running back and linebacker are both very, very proud. They were able to step up in that moment and do that. And then, uh, yeah, after that, you know, they, they get the stop. Uh, Ricky Ford's easily scored the winning touchdown two plays later. And, you know, once again, Wapolo just narrowly beating out rival LM. Uh, Kyle, I know you weren't there, but I know we both expected LM to win this game. So, what, what does this tell you about Wapolo? They were able to go on the road with a lot of new pieces and uh, win a very, very close ball game. It's pretty impressive. Uh, Wapolo had 192 yards rushing. Ford's had 117 of those. Really thought he'd be a big piece in this offense this year. So, had a nice way to start off the season. And Holland seemed to play well in his debut. Passed for 133 yards, 10 of 19 throwing. So, mm-hmm. but the real the thing that really stood out to me about this one was Chase Cruz only had only had three pass attempts, completed one of those for two yards. So I was surprised to see LM kind of completely abandon the passing game because Cruz had 1,667 yards and 14 touchdowns through the air last year. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I talked to, to Eric Gabe a little bit about that afterwards, and he he hopes to, to get the passing game going as the season goes on because he knows they have weapons in the passing game, and obviously, you know, you mentioned that Chase Cruz can definitely can definitely pass the ball. But he just made it seem like that, you know, getting the new offense installed, they just weren't quite there yet. And you could see that they weren't quite there yet, even with the running game. I mean, they were getting called for illegal formations, illegal shifts, things like that. I don't know what they're – I think LNM's quick stats had them for eight penalties, but I'm, I'm calling hearsay on that. I, I think they had more, more than eight penalties because they were three on one drive. So, but, yeah, penalties were an issue for them. I would expect that they will probably – that passing game will be more of a factor as we move on the season. You mentioned Noah Holland for Wapolo. He really impressed me. I mean, he – He's, he's not the greatest passer, and he's not the greatest runner, but he's pretty good at both. And being pretty good at both in high school football, you know, especially 2A, 1A football, that, that, that'll get you some places. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he had a real nice game, and obviously that's a real nice win for Wapolo to start off the season. We'll move on to uh, Wapolo's Week 2 opponent, West Liberty's Week 1 opponent, uh, West Branch. Uh, West Branch pretty easily beat West Liberty. Uh, 32 to six. Uh, th- these details here, we didn't get anything from that game that night. No stats or anything. So these details are from uh, yourprepsports.com. Those guys do a good job over there. Um, they have West Liberty at just 73 yards of total offense, negative 10 yards on the ground on 30 carries. Um, obviously, that's impacted by by sack numbers. Uh, Feldman, Seth Feldman, West Liberty quarterback, was sacked seven times. You know, obviously the offensive line concerns we knew were there. And playing a really good West Branch team week one, you kind of saw that pop up. You know, Tanner Luvisky uh, for West Branch had 172 rushing yards and two touchdowns. You know, just really, I mean, I think West Liberty was down 25-0 to before they eventually scored. So they were really never in this one. I guess, Kyle, were, were you surprised maybe how this one turned out? Did you expect it to be a little bit closer? Or are you maybe expecting these growing pains so far? Yeah, I didn't really know too much what to expect because Seth Feldman was one of the few returning starters, especially on offense. And so to see the struggles there, getting sacked seven times, he needs better protection because mm-hmm. I know 
Coach Jason, as he talked about there being a lot of talent with the skilled players, obviously he needs more time to try to get those players more involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, they, they had negative 19 yards at halftime, so that, that just tells you how much of a struggle it was for them. And, you know, it, it doesn't get any easier for them in week two. We'll get to that one in a minute as well. But first, um, our last area game here, um, this is actually where I got the one up on Kyle in our in our little make believe standings here. I'm currently sitting at four and one. Kyle three and two. I picked Highland over Columbus, and that happened. Uh, Highland 48, Columbus 16. Uh, Chance Colby, new quarterback, replacing Abel Mena. 81 passing yards and a touchdown, and uh, uh, 11 carries and 56 yards and a touchdown. So he had a nice game, but again, you know we. I don't know if we expected this score, but we did expect some, you know, definitely growing pains. Just there's a lot of young kids for LM, um, five of the not, or for LM, for Columbus, excuse me, and uh, five of the nine kids who recorded tackles for them were sophomores. If that tells you how many young kids they have on defense, um, you know, outside of that, I, I think Columbus week week two will be one where they we think they might be able to bounce back. But any more thoughts on them week one? I, I know you picked him to win, but we didn't have a great feeling on that. Were, were you maybe surprised this wasn't closer? Well, I, the defense really seemed to struggle in that one. Highland gained 363 yards rushing on 36 carries. So obviously there are be quite a few growing pains like you talked about, mm -hmm. especially with the defense. Um, Chance Colby seemed to have a pretty good, decent debut. Mm -hmm. Through a 45-yard touchdown pass to Will Schaub in that one. Jaime Villegas also had two carries for 48 yards, so they did have a couple big plays on offense. They even outscored Highland 16-14 to 14 in the second half, but game was pretty much out of reach by that. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they can take that positive. You know, we, we at least outplayed them or played them praisefully to a tie in the second half, and while, while Highland probably wasn't maybe at that point playing their starters, or, you know, maybe they just, you know, kind of were done caring at that point, but just to, to see the results on the field for a team as young as Columbus, I think that is important. So I'm glad you mentioned that. That is a good point. And that, that is one positive the Wildcats can take from this one. And we'll, uh, we'll move to volleyball here next. Now, now we get to the infamous weather delay uh, volleyball match. We had Muscatine at Davenport West. Uh, Muskies won this one straight sets, although it was uh, a tight three-setter. 26-24, uh, 26-24. 25-22 uh, for Muscatine. That, that gives them a leg up in uh, topping their preseason projection of ninth uh, voted on by the coaches in the conference. West was eighth. So, you know, Muscatine has two wins. They're over the 10th the place team and the 8th place team. But, you know, 2-0 is 2-0. And I think maybe we both have liked what we've seen from Muscatine so far. Kyle, I said this last week. Um, I'm going to ask you this week. Did you think they looked better than a year ago? What what kind of stood out to you uh, the first time you saw them play here? Well, this is a pretty young team. I know Coach Shamar talked about having quite a few people on JV also playing up on Barshi this year. But they play really well together. Very balanced attack. They had 35 kills against Davenport West, which were all pretty evenly distributed. Anna Wieskamp led the way with nine. But um, the thing that really stood out was even with the power outage, the 20-minute delay due to the tornado warning, nothing seemed to really rattle them. They mm -hmm. came right back out, finished with the last two points in the first set. And so, yeah, 24-24 in the first set when, uh, when the power went out. Yep, finished with those last two points. Uh, Kayla Schultz ended it with a kill. They got that 26-24 win there. And then even trailed 
24-22 in the second set, but we're able to score four okay. in the row. And, and they also, they were down, you correct me if I'm wrong, but 18-14 West in the first set? Yeah. So to be able to, to battle back from that kind of deficit, I don't think that's something they do a year ago. Um, rally the win the second set, like you mentioned, too. You know, Tim, Tim Martin said, you know, in, in your story, you know, really showed a lot of character. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's been a real strong start for them. We were talking before we went on air here. I don't remember them having a match with 35 kills last year. Obviously, that's a big, uh, you know, big tribute to uh, just their array of weapons. Hannah Wieskamp, Hannah Reynolds, Maddie Peterson, Kaylin Sowlers, all, all have five or more. Uh, and then Haley Jarrett, you know, 28 assists. Not much more you can say about that. Just another, another good game for the senior to start this season. And they actually play in their home tournament on Saturday. I'll be out there for that one. Uh, don't know the schedule. Just know that Burlington, DeWitt, Minneapolis, and West Liberty and Williamsburg are all in the field. It's a pretty good field. Um, we'll, we'll see how the Muskies do this weekend out there. And I know, Kyle, you'll be out there for Muscatine Swimming as well that same day. They'll host uh, Boone, Burlington, Fairfield, uh, Keok, uh, Linmar, Tipton, and Williamsburg. Um, we actually we never heard anything. We, we know they did well Tuesday in Burlington from what we understand, but... Could never get a hold of Coach Judd Anderson, so we don't know for sure how they did out there. We just know they did well. We apologize for that, and we hope to bring those results to you guys as soon as we get them. You know, I thought we could hit on Mustang Golf real quick. Um, first, with the North Scott invite, that was actually played while we recorded this podcast last week. And so just to get that in real quick, they improved by 39 strokes in the previous invite, um, placed fourth out of eight teams, uh, James Salt had an 82, and you know now let's see Monday they were at Western Dubuque. Seems like they're getting better with with each meet here, slightly better. Shot 358. Uh, they placed third. Uh, PV was first with 310. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it at least an 80 stroke difference from PV in, in their first meet? Yeah. So and yeah, so they've yeah. already closed. They they've got that gap almost in half, which. You know, maybe PV didn't shoot up to their usual par. I don't know, but still impressive by Muscatine. Um, you know, Doug Custis, season low 86. Uh, Brick Burback, 88. Greg Valiant, 89 at Western Dubuque. Um, but Schultz was still, you know, still nitpicking, which is what, what good coaches do. You know, he, he thought they were hitting in the trees too much um, on their drives. Need to get on the fairways more and just putting. He, he made it seem like they were leaving some, some strokes. Uh, putting, you know, Kyle, I know we neither of us saw either of these, but just you know what? What? What do you think of the growth they've shown, and kind of what's your feel? You know, you talked to Schultz on Monday. What's your feel for for where he's at? Because when I last talked to him, he he was kind of frustrated, but he seemed to be in better spirits when you guys talked the other day. Yeah, when I talked to Schultz, um, he was hoping, especially after that North Scott invite, that that wasn't a blip on the radar. But um, you know, I know he wasn't too pleased with the 358 they shot at the Western Dubuque Invitational. He feels like they're making it, they're making small improvements, but just not quite enough yet to where they're competing with those top tier programs. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's still looking for even more improvement here moving forward. Another big jump, maybe like they saw at the North Scott Invitational. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, for now they've moved from the bottom of these invites to at least the middle, and that's definite progress. We'll see where they can go from here. They've got a lot of young kids. Uh, should be exciting to follow them throughout the rest of the year. And then uh, Muscatine Cross Country, I believe, was our last. Musty sport that was in action last week. They placed eighth among 11 teams at the Cedar Rapids Prairie invite over the weekend. Girls, eight out of 10. 
the impression I got from reading uh, your your short story on that is they were just happy to get out of there. They uh, sounds like a lot of runners uh, went down the varsity races just because it was so hot. Um, but Muscatine, you know, didn't didn't have that. Tim Armstrong, girls coach, was was pleased just to get out of there with no injuries, nobody worse for worse for the wear or anything like that. Uh, Kyle, just what, what what were your first impressions? I think this is the fir- this is their first meet. Is that correct? Yeah. So their their opening meet, you know, we had Owen Hazelwood was sixteenth. Uh, Tevin Tovar, 20th. Uh, for the girls, Riley Blake, 21st. Uh, Sophia Thomas, 26th. Um, so they, they had a, a, a hot and muddy uh, meet for their first one. Not ideal, but what were both coaches like? You know, what, what were their moods like? What did they feel like? Uh, or I guess how they feel about the way both teams raced. Well, weather was obviously the story again with here, which it has been in a lot of these sports events. Seems like that's just how it is year-round yeah. around here. Um, talking to... Coach Tim Armstrong, the girls' coach, on the phone after the race, he said uh, several kids from different schools went down during the races. Uh, no one from Muscatine, but even a spectator collapsed in the stands before the races started. So it, it just sounded like a mess. There was rain that moved through the previous night, caused the course to be a muddy mess, and uh, Armstrong described it as a quagmire. So. <laughs> all chewed up after those first couple races. Even a couple JV races were canceled because of the weather. Um, Foxen, Chris Foxen, the boys coach, felt like there were too big of gaps between some of those varsity runners. Hopes to kind of close those gaps. Have yeah, there, 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 there weren't any kids too close to, to Hazelwood and Tofar in the standings. After that, yeah, I kind of fractioned off. But mm-hmm. um, the fresh off race, Boys fresh off race, four of Muscatine's kids placed in the top 15 and medaled in that one. And Foxen said it's going to be hard to keep some of those kids out of the varsity lineup here moving forward. He thinks they can have a factor. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, last cross country we have here, we, we would have had more, but like I said, uh, a lot of those teams had their meets rained out this week. Uh, just real quick on West Liberty, uh, Fierro, the, the lone girl cross country runner for West Liberty, so the girls cross country team, she placed 10th. And uh, the Varsity Girls Orange Division, was that at the same invite that Muscatine was at? Yes, it was. Same meet? Gotcha. And then uh, Ashton Burroughs uh, led the boys, was placed 54th for the Comets uh, to open their season. And then uh, we can move back to volleyball real quick here, just run through these. Um, Wilton Volleyball, uh, first, they, they won all five of their matches last Saturday. Start off season 5-0 and at the Easton Valley Tournament. Uh, Aubrey Putman, Emily Lang, and... Uh, Newcomer, or at least a newer player, didn't play as much last year. I can't remember which exactly. Uh, Ella Caffrey. All three of those girls were were all tournament team. Uh, you know, Coach Grunder was pretty happy with their court movement. It seemed like from your story. Um, and then just the other day, they won all four matches at the Air Invite. You know, beat Wapolo in the finals. Another strong showing for them. They, they still haven't dropped a set. Nine zero on the year. Pretty much an ideal start for them. Um, Wapolo obviously you know, losing the title, their second second place at that tournament, but still a nice bounce back for them after I think a one and three or zero oh and three start, I want to say. So they they won a couple, got back on track. Uh, Columbus went zero oh and three at that same tournament, the or the Wapolo invite. Uh, but Coach Lloyd Benin was actually pretty happy with how they played, thought they played some tough competition and hung in there pretty well. And then uh, West Liberty here, they uh, they played last Saturday at the Grinnell tournament. Um, them. Along, you know, West Liberty along with Durant, LNM, uh, Wilton, West Liberty. I, I think all those teams are back in action again tonight. 
So by the time you hear this podcast, they may have played, but just know that we won't have the recaps for those because we're recording it at four in the afternoon here. Um, they, they won four or five last week at Grinnell. Uh, Macy Dothfelt led the team in kills. Macy Akers and Diggs. And that's about all we've got on them. A four and one start. Nice start for them. L&M Volleyball, uh, one and three at the Danville Tournament. They did beat Columbus in straight sets, lost the other three. Uh, Columbus, uh, again, 0-4 at that one uh, to round it out. And now we will move into our football previews here. Um, we can start with uh, Muscatine and Cedar Rapids Jefferson. So basically with this one, you know, Kyle, I know Coach Mueller doesn't think that these two teams have played each other since 1959. We don't know for sure, but that, that's what he thought. So this could be a pretty new opponent for Muscatine. <laughs> if, if so, um, they lost to uh, to Cedar Rapids Kennedy uh, last week, 34-0. Now, you know, Kennedy is no slouch. They're, they're ninth in 4A in the first uh, first poll, I guess. Kyle, kind of what, what are you expecting? Maybe what are you looking for out of this one? And uh, do we think Muscatine is going to start off the season 2-0? I think it's very likely that they do. Um, it's the first home game for Muscatine. I know there's a lot of excitement surrounding this program, especially after last week's huge win against Davenport Central. Um, Mueller is cautious about Jefferson. He said that they look to be very sound. Mm -hmm. Obviously thought a couple turnovers caused the score to be out of more out of reach than mm -hmm. what it really was. Um, I know he... he Jefferson's young and inexperienced on offense. So it sounds like they might be kind of an unknown just because they've got a lot of new kids, new head coach, so kind of only one game from Muscatine to, to scout them, so that's kind of difficult. Uh, um, Mueller said that Ezekiel Leggins will obviously be a guy that they pay a lot of attention to. He had two catches for 57 yards mm -hmm. in that week one opener. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, B.C. Moore, um, you'll – You'll hear us mention mention his website uh, a lot on this podcast moving forward. It's a website. If, if you guys haven't um, seen it, I can put the link in the description of this podcast. But basically what he does is he you know he has a ton of advanced numbers for high school football games on here, which is pretty cool in itself. He does his own rankings. But he also uh, predicts every game um, throughout the week. N not a winner or loser necessarily, but he'll give you a point spread. So like a Vegas point spread. And it'll give you a probability for how likely a team is to win. So Muscatine, let me double check this here, but I think Muscatine is actually, yep, they're an 11-point favorite. Um, and he feels 71% sure that the Muskies will win this one. And, and I think they're going to as well. Um, you know, Ken, or, uh, Jefferson showed last week that they really struggled defending the run against Kennedy. Obviously, we know. Muscatine's got a guy for that. They've got a guy to run the ball. I expect a lot of nimbly in this game. And, uh, yeah, I think Muscatine will win this one by, by a couple touchdowns. And uh, anything else to add on this one, Kyle? I don't think so. All right, and we'll move, we'll move on here. We've got um, Wilton. They actually play tonight. That's why we're, tr we're trying to get this podcast out in time for you guys to listen to the Wilton um, preview portion of this podcast. Their game got moved to tonight because of weather concerns. They are playing Northeast. Northeast is 0-1 on the season. Um, lost 34-18 the Comanche. Um, they allowed 297 rushing yards last week, and you know, holy cow! Like it, you know, allowing 300 rushing yards last week. I mean, they're they're probably Jerome Mays might have a field down this team, and Colin McCrab. They they've got a couple guys who can 
who can run the football, obviously. So I'd expect a lot of that this week. But, you know, Northeast can put up points, uh, you know, in their own respect. Um, Nate Lang has thrown for over 2,000 yards each of the last two seasons. He's back as a senior, I believe. So an experienced quarterback who's put up big numbers. We'll test that Wilton secondary a little bit. Uh, Dawson Stoll for them had nine catches for 190 yards and one touchdown last week. You know, but Wilton's got a good defense. Well, they, they might get tested a little bit more down the field than maybe last week against Durant. But, you know, again, I think we both expect Wilton to win this game. They're number one in the first poll, in, or number one, number nine in 1A in the first poll. Um, Kyle, what are you looking for out of this one? And, uh, you know, again, here in a couple hours, these teams kick off. Who, who do you think has the edge here? I think Wilton does. Um, they're playing their first home game of the season. Coach Ryan Hessler always does a great job getting his kids ready for football games. I don't think he'll have any trouble being the first home game of the year and being a Thursday night game either moving up tonight. Um, obviously, they'll be focusing in on the quarterback, Northeast quarterback, Nate Lang, mm-hmm. at 307 yards passing, like you mentioned, and Dawson Stoll. Um, and like you said, Jerome Mays and should be able to get more involved in this one. Mm-hmm. Only had 70-some yards rushing last week, but I expect a bigger game out of him, and I think Wilton will walk away with this with mm-hmm. a 2-0 record. Yeah, you know, I, I should mention, you know, Northeast, although they can put up points, I mean, their offensive line and running game aren't aren't great. And uh, I think they were 1-8 last season, so, I mean, this is a team that can score, but not necessarily a team that has a lot of experience winning. Obviously, we don't expect him to go in the Wilton and win this one. I would actually expect um, Wilton to get a running clock at some point in this one, which is 35 points in the second half. I think Wilton's going to win this one pretty easily. And we'll move on here to, to Durant. Um, Durant plays North Sear this week. Uh, North Sear lost to Tipton 39-18. to um, They're not expected to be you know too great this year. Um, offensively, they really didn't do a whole lot. I mean... Quarterback threw for two touchdowns, but they didn't have a ton of yards. Um, this is a game that I do think Durant should win, and uh, I think you'll see the, the running game get going a little bit behind that big offensive line. You know, I expect LaFriends to have another nice game. And, yeah, I, I think I've got Durant in this one by a couple touchdowns. Kyle, kind of just give me your thoughts on this one. And, uh, you know, as the as the person who's actually seen Durant this year, what, what you think we might see in week two? I think Durant gets back in this uh, wins their first game of the season. Tipton had two guys rush for over 100 yards last week against North Cedar. Another guy rushed for 99 yards. So obviously North Cedar had a tough time running the ball, or had a tough time stopping. Yeah, we. I, I would expect Tristan Hughes to have a, a little bit of a bounce back game this week. Yeah, he only had like 25 yards rushing mm-hmm. last week, so he should be more involved and. I think Durant gets back on track here mm-hmm. too. Absolutely. So we both expect a one and one start for Durant. Again, we're both completely the same this week through four games. And we'll move to, uh, or through three games, excuse me. We'll move to uh, the next one here, which is uh, Wapolo taking on West Branch. Obviously, we know all about West Branch. They beat West Liberty last week pretty handily. And I still think West Liberty is a team that can contend for the playoffs, so I think that says more about West Branch than West Liberty. You know, West Branch has won 10 consecutive regular season games dating back to last year. Um, and then kind of like West Liberty, Wapolo is breaking in a lot of new starters on both the offensive and defensive line. Actually, they, they were not great 
either regard in week one. You know, Lawiza Mustin kind of controlled the line uh, for a lot of that game. So I would expect more of the same this week. I mean, West Branch has seven sacks. Clearly, they have a good defensive front. I personally, even though even though I'm, I'm impressed with Ricky Ford's like always, you know, Noah Holland had a nice game last week. I like those two guys. I, I like Wapolo as a team, but I sure have a tough time seeing them win this one. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, West Branch is the number three ranked team in Class 1A. Um, like you mentioned, seven sacks. They also had 14 solo tackles for loss. I think they'll really try to go after the quarterback, first-year starting quarterback for Wapolo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Ford's last week was, you know, I asked him, I was like, you know, how, how frustrating is it to, to have all these guys in the box uh, all game? And he, he goes, very. So he's probably going to be even more frustrated this week because that's that's a bigger, stronger, faster defense than what, what the Falcons have. So I, I would expect West Branch to win this one probably in a similar score to what they did to West Liberty last week. And uh, speaking of West Liberty, like I said earlier, does not get any easier for them this week. Um, they play uh, Solon, who is the number three team in Class 3A, so arguably a better team than West Branch. And, I mean, last week they, they were just magnificent. They, they made it to the Dome last year, if I'm not mistaken. And they did lose a lot of guys defensively, but they have a lot of guys back on offense. And they beat Mount Vernon, um, who was the first team and the others receiving votes in Class 2A rankings this week. It'd be them 34-14 last week. So they handled a good team last week. Um, Cam Miller, back at quarterback, he was only a sophomore last year. Close to 2,000 passing yards, you know, 18-31. 25 touchdowns. They have one of their two running backs back from last year that had like 850 yards. They lost, like I said, a lot of guys on defense. They lost, I think, five of their six um, top tacklers. But, and they have some other secondary pieces back. And that defense had... Had six shutouts. They held opponents to seven or fewer points ten times last year. So again, I think West Liberty is probably looking looking down the barrel of zero and two in this one. But what are your thoughts here, Kyle? Yeah, the Solon defense looks like it's going to be tough to handle again for West Liberty. They had four intercept four interceptions against Mount Vernon. They also had a touchdown on a when Mount Vernon botched a snap on a punt that was recovered in the end zone by Solon. So. They force a lot of turnovers. Um, you mentioned Cam Miller. He also has a great weapon in A.J. Coons. Mm-hmm. He had 11 catches for 153 yards and three touchdowns last week, so I'm guessing he'll play another big factor this week too. Yeah, and you, you can't really – you can't overstate how impressive 11 catches is. Like that's like – if you see Antonio Brown do that in the NFL, you're like, holy cow, like Antonio Brown had a really good day. So that 11 catches is just insane. And, I mean, yeah, I – I, this is going to be really hard for West Liberty to, to win. I think we might be looking at maybe a, a worse score than last week. I know BC Moore has um, has them as 33-point underdogs. wouldn't surprise me if that's about what the, the margin for this one is. And I just want to want to say, you know, even if West Liberty is 0-2 with two lopsided losses to start the season, I don't know about you, but I, I still think they can contend for a playoff spot. This is just a really tough schedule to open their season. Yeah, I think this kind of challenges them early on. There's a lot of room for growth, especially on that offensive line. So I think this will help prepare them for mm-hmm. down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then the last game here, we've got um, Columbus. They're looking to bounce back after a uh, after a difficult get- loss to Highland last week. They play uh, GMG Garwin in week two. I believe GMG Garwin was 0-9 last year. 
They lost their week one game uh, to Grandview Christian, 36-24. to They did have close to 200 rushing yards, and so that could be an area where they give Columbus problems. Columbus has a young defense, and so if they can run the ball, that, that, that would be a problem for them. Um, Adam Cox at quarterback for them is new. Um, he, he didn't play much last year. I think I'm going to give Columbus the edge because it looks like these rosters are pretty similar in age. And just, you know, you look at the results, Columbus was better last year, and both teams return about the same amount of guys. I think BC Moore has Columbus as a nine-point favorite in this one. Yeah, I think that's about what it's going to be. I would say Columbus wins this one by, by maybe a touchdown, something like that, get, get back on track, hit one and one after two weeks. I think Columbus gets this one also. Um, this is a new opponent this year for them, GMG Garwin. Talking to Chance Colby before the season started, I know he highlighted this as one of the games on the schedule he felt like Columbus could win. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, GMG had some success running the ball, had 35 rushes for 205 yards last week. But I think Colby looked pretty good in his first start. I think he continues to make strides there at quarterback in his second start there. And I think Columbus gets the win. Yep, yep, absolutely. So we uh, we agree on all of our picks this week. So at the very worst, I'll be ahead by one game again next week. So I'll take it. Kyle, anything else to add on any of our other high school sports before we head, before we head off today? I don't think so. Just excited for more high school sports this weekend. Got a busy weekend at Muscatine with swimming and volleyball, so it should be good. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be there for football tomorrow night. Um, I hope and pray that the rain stays away, or at least the lightning. I don't really care about just the rain, I guess. But, yeah, so we'll look forward to next week. We'll have a lot of stuff to talk to you about again. And, uh, again, you can follow me at uh, Evan R. Riggs on Twitter. Kyle is at Kyle on Twitter. Um, we'll post the iTunes link. Uh, to the show on the journal's website, but you can find us on a ton of different formats. You know, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, Anchor. Just basically anywhere you get your podcast, you'll find us. Um, you should also follow the journal sports account at um, journal under M-, M journal underscore sports if you don't already. We'll be back next week to look back at Friday's football games and the other area sports, and we'll preview week three.